Oh, they're over here. <laughs> Good afternoon. <laughs> well, if you, have your, uh, if you have your service book, you can turn there and uh, welcome this afternoon to our annual festival of lessons and carols, and we're going to be going through uh, the story of the Bible, the story of Scripture that points us uh, backwards in faith, as I've been saying during the Advent season, to the promises of God, and then also forward in uh, hope to the coming uh, of the Lord again. So if you have that uh, booklet, you can open that up, and we're going to begin singing this afternoon with O Come All Ye Faithful, and we're going we're to sit for the first three verses, and then uh, between the third and the fourth, we're going to stand, and then we'll stand up and sing the fourth verse together. So let's remain seated, O Come All Ye Faithful. Beloved in Christ, be it this Christmas Eve our care and delight to prepare ourselves to hear again the message of the angels in heart and mind to go even to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass in the babe lying in a manger. Let us read and mark in Holy Scripture the tale of the loving purposes of God from the first days of our disobedience to the glorious redemption brought us by this holy child. And let us make this chapel glad with our carols of praise. But first, let us pray for the needs of the whole world, for peace and goodwill over all the earth, for unity and brotherhood within the church he came to build, and especially in these United States of America. And because this of all things would rejoice his heart, let us at this time remember in his name the poor and the helpless, the cold, the hungry, and the oppressed, the sick in body and in mind, and them that mourn, the lonely and the unloved, the aged and the little children, all who know not the Lord Jesus or who love him not or who by sin have grieved his heart of love. Lastly, let us remember before God all those who rejoice with us but upon another shore and in a greater light, that multitude which no man can number, whose hope was in the word made flesh and with whom in this Lord Jesus we forevermore are one. These prayers and praises let us humbly offer up to the throne of heaven in the words which Christ himself has taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. The Almighty God bless us with his grace. Christ, give us the joys of everlasting life. And unto the fellowship of the citizens above, may the King of angels bring us all, and all of God's people say, Amen. You may be seated. Abraham Kuyper once lamented that at no Christian feast is the glory of God so little remembered as at the commemoration of Jesus' birth. As we gather again this Christmas Eve to hear the story of our Savior's lowly birth, let us cast away all earthly thoughts of family, food, and friends. Kind of hard to do after we just ate some tamales. Let us lift up our hearts and minds of the God who displays his majestic glory in the promises to send his eternal son in the humility of human flesh, 
that he might die a humiliating death on a cross so that lowly sinners like you and me may be brought into his eternal glory. Amen? We begin in the beginning. After the first fiat, let there be light, has dawned upon the first moments of human history. We travel to a garden in a land called Eden. There, God formed the pinnacle of his creative work, Adam and Eve, distinguishing them from everything else by creating them in his own image and crowning them with glory and honor to reflect him. Their purpose was to rightly know God, their creator, heartily love him and live with him in eternal blessedness. As divine image bearers, Adam and Eve were made in a special relationship with their creator. The Bible calls that a verit, a covenant. Tragically, they broke that bond of fellowship. Standing before the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they listened to the serpent's forked tongue and transgressed God's law, you shall not eat of it. As threatened, the Lord God entered the garden to judge Adam, Eve, and the tempter. Yet, in the midst of sin, shame, and the sentence of condemnation, we hear another word, a promise of the advent of a Savior. We hear what is known as the Proto-Oangelion, which is the first gospel. This promise is that from the seed of the woman would come one to crush the head of the spawn of the serpent, along with the sin and death he brought about upon humanity. Genesis 3, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he, the Lord God, said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree, whereof I commanded thee, that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the, unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust thou shalt eat all the days of thy life, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt brute, uh, bruise his heel. Let's respond together by singing those two verses of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Come, thou desire of nations, come, was the prayer in response to this Advent promise, whose plot unfolded throughout subsequent generations of the seed of the woman. It began with Abel, the first martyr, was revived in the birth of Seth, dramatically saved from the flood of judgment in Noah, and multiplied the families of Shem, one of Noah's three sons. In his own gracious and good pleasure, the Lord chose Shem's descendant, Abram, through whom to bring the promised seed of the woman, 
Abram's blessed seed would bless not only Abram's family for generations to come in the nation known as Israel, but would bless the families of all the peoples in the face of the earth. Genesis 22. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nation of the earth be blessed because thou hast obeyed my voice. In response, we'll sing, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, the two verses. Israel's strength and consolation showed generation after generation that his steadfast love endures forever. Yet every time they rebelled like their first father, Adam. Abraham's great-grandchildren, the sons of Jacob, sold their brother Joseph into slavery, which led him to Egypt. Yet the Lord used Joseph there to preserve the line of promise from certain extinction by famine. Two ungrateful Israelites in Egypt caused Moses to flee into exile in Midian for 40 years. Yet he was the Lord's anointed one to display the signs and wonders of the Lord and lead the chosen people out of Egypt. An entire nation of Israelites stuck between certain death by drowning in the Red Sea or by Pharaoh's chariots forgot that the Lord had just displayed his power to save. Yet in his power, and especially grace, he split the sea in two and led them through on dry ground, then destroyed Pharaoh's armies in the sea. The people complained and grumbled about not having bread, water, or meat in the wilderness like they had in Egypt. Yet the Lord sent them manna from heaven, water from a rock, and more quail than they could digest. The people grew impatient as one day at Mount Sinai felt like a thousand years. So they built a golden calf to worship instead of their glorious God. Yet the Lord was patient and forgave their sin. The spies in the promised land did not believe they could overcome the merely mortal inhabitants of the land the Almighty God promised them. Yet after 40 years, the Lord did lead them in to destroy those very enemies under their leader, Joshua. And so generation after generation, under subsequent judges and kings, rebelled until the Lord had enough. We come to the 7th century B.C., when the people that God took as his own had broken the covenant with him yet again. The ten northern tribes of Israel were excommunicated from the presence of the Lord into Assyria in 722 B.C., and the two southern tribes of Judah would be next, going into Babylonia in 586 B.C. It was on the eve of exile the Lord promised to disbelieving King Ahaz that he would climactically save his people once again, this time by coming himself to his people. Isaiah 7, moreover, the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God, ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, neither will I tempt the Lord. And he, the Lord, said, Hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will ye weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. 
Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. We'll sing of Emmanuel, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, uh, four verses, again, remain seated. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Emmanuel, meaning God with us, was to be the name of the virgin's son. Greater than the myriad signs in Egypt, than the overwhelming signs in the wilderness, and greater than their dramatic signs and wonders at Mount Sinai, this surely was to be the Lord's most stupendous and sublime sign and wonder he would do in the eyes of his people. What would the birth of the son mean to the faithful remnant of Israel out in exile and who later returned to a wasteland of their homeland? What would the birth of the desire of nations mean to God-fearers outside Israel who dwelt in the land of darkness, of the darkness of ignorance, idolatry, and incredulity? Isaiah's prophecy, chapter number 9. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Thou hast multiplied the nation, and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise, and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Let's sing the next carol, Lo, How a Rose Air Blooming. There are three verses. of Jesse's lineage coming as men of old have sung. The seed or offspring of Eve, of Sarah, and of the virgin would be a king like Jesse's son, the iconic David. This king's kingdom would be known as a kingdom of peace as he would end the serpent's reign over his people, even as he ended the reign of Pharaoh over Israel. Yet where was this king to be born? Fallen humanity, in its natural wisdom, reasons and looks for him to be born in the palatial palaces of princes, royalty and aristocracy. Yet God's wisdom announced an unlikely location, Micah 5. 
But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Therefore he will give them up until the time that she which travaileth hath brought forth. Then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel. And he shall stand and feed in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall abide. For now shall he be great until the ends of the earth, and this man shall be the peace. Let's sing, O little town of Bethlehem, in response to four verses. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. Uh, there are so many precious promises of the coming of this light, and those we've just read are just the, the beginning. For languishing Israelites and God-fearing Gentiles, the painful question was this. After so many generations, where was this promise? Where was the seed of the woman to crush the serpent? Where was Abraham's offspring? Who had blessed the world? Where was the virgin son, God in the flesh? Where was the king upon David's throne who was to sit there forever? Where was this Lord of whom Israel sang, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You see, after Isaiah's and Micah's powerful and prophetic preaching, the faithful still lived in a state of hope-filled expectation for another 700 years without their prophecies coming to pass. Yet now, turning to the page of the Gospels, the strife between serpent and sun is ended. The wait is over. God is no longer silent. O Israel of God, O nations, cry out with the psalmist. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God. Lift up your hearts and heads. Hear the long-expected words of fulfillment. Luke 1. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then Mary said unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, 
and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Let's sing Mary's song, Sing Out My Soul with Praise. Uh, Those words are printed out again with you there, uh, for you there, the two verses, Sing Out My Soul with Praise. God lifts the lowly high, the hungry are fed, God's mercy comes in servant form. As Martin Luther said, God allows the godly to be powerless and oppressed so that everyone thinks they are done for. Yet even in that very moment, God is most powerfully present. When the power of man fails, the power of God begins. This mysterious and wondrous providence of God shows itself again as the very year in which Mary was to give birth to the Son of God, Jesus, the Messiah, our Lord. Caesar Augustus called for a taxation of the Roman Empire. This included his eastern province of Judea. This was no accident. The man called Augustus, the illustrious one, whose authority was believed to be over all humanity and nature itself, was a servant to the will of him who truly is august. In order for this to be pulled off, everyone had to return to their own hometown. For Joseph and Mary, this meant returning to Bethlehem. In order that the prophet Micah's words might be fulfilled for centuries, preparations, the stage of God's greatest miracle of the Incarnation was being set up. What's interesting is how in just a few verses, written simply in a matter-of-fact and natural way, Luke relates the tremendous and all-important event. The extreme simplicity of the narrative forms the strongest contrast to the stupendous significance of the occurrence that is recounted. Again, as Martin Luther said, how unobtrusively and simply Do those events take place on earth that are so heralded in heaven? Luke chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Let's sing that great hymn, What Child Is This? The Three Verses. Mm -hmm. 
What child is this? Emmanuel, God with us. In his birth, we see the true nature of his kingdom revealed. And where he was born? In who first beheld him? And in what state he was found? He was not adored by throngs of millions, thousands, even hundreds, but by some shepherds who just happened to be in an adjacent field. He was not at first visited by the powerful, by the influential, by the important in the eyes of the world, but by ordinary men of this world. And when the angel told these shepherds where to find this child, it was not in a golden crib in a palace where earthly power was wielded, but as wrapped in the royal garb of the swaddling clothes of an ordinary baby and enthroned in a manger, the ordinary stable on the first floor of a first century Jewish home. Truly, as Paul said, though Jesus was rich, being the eternal son of God, yet for your sake he became poor, being born a man, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Luke 2. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary, and Joseph, and the babe, lying in a manger. Let's sing the six verses while shepherds watched. All meanly wrapped in swathing bands and in a manger laid. At some unknown time after Jesus was born, he was visited by three magi, as we say in English. These were studious men from the East, who it seemed came into contact with the Jewish scriptures during the aforementioned exile, but who were also known for their study of the stars to determine God's course of human history. What's important is, beginning in Genesis chapter 3, to go east is to go east of Eden. And that's associated with going away from the presence of God. Which way are the Magi going to be traveling? They're coming from the east to the west. Think of it like this. The presence of God once dwelt in the Holy of Holies, in the temple. During the exile, the glory left, and the temple was Ichabod, no glory. 
When the exiles returned from the east, we never read that the glory of God returned. So the people of God left, the glory left, the people came back, the glory never came back. So where are these magi going? That glory was now found in the person of the baby Jesus, in whom Paul said the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Yet while being worshipped, the age-old strife between the two seeds, the woman and the serpent, Christ, Satan, the godly and the ungodly, that strife is active. Through Herod, Satan seeks to end the promised line, just like in ancient Egypt with the Pharaoh. But in this, we also see the reason this son came to be born, to destroy the works of the devil. We read in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ was, uh, should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Ju uh, Ju Judah, are not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them. Till it came and stood over the place, uh, stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Let's sing uh, the next carol, which is We Three Kings. O star of wonder, star of light, star with royal beauty bright, westward leading. Uh, what a wonder, as we've heard even this morning. God has sent his eternal son to earth to become a man, yet all the while remaining God. Among the Gospels, the Apostle John gives us the most mature re theological reflection on the incarnation, that is, the birth of God in human flesh. For here we see that the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham, the son of the virgin, the son given unto us, the one who was to be a ruler from Bethlehem was in truth God in flesh. As we'll sing, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name which were born not of blood, not, uh, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten, the Father, full of grace and truth. Glory to the newborn King. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. His fullness of grace alone can forgive your sins of a misspent past, a rebelliousness of the present, and the certain disobedience against God you'll commit in the future. His his fullness of grace is here. How does Jesus' grace become more than just an offer to you and to me, but a secure possession? By turning to Him in faith, turning from self, which we call repentance from, your, from ourselves, our sins, in our own self-righteous attempts to bring peace to our conscience. Become as helpless and naked as a newborn child. Come to Jesus with faith, like an empty, open hand. Believe that the humiliation, lowliness, suffering, and shame of Him who came from heaven to earth will lead you from earth to heaven, from sin to salvation, from estrangement from God to fellowship with God. Amen? Thanks be to God. Let's sing in response. Hark the herald angels sing uh, the three verses that are printed out. Let us pray. God, who makes us glad with the yearly remembrance of the birth of your only Son, Jesus Christ, grant that as we joyfully receive him for our Redeemer, so may we with sure confidence behold him when he shall come to be our judge, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, ever one God, world without end, and all of God's people say. Almighty God, who has given us your only begotten Son to take our nature upon him, And as at this time to be born of a pure virgin, grant that we, being regenerate and made your children by adoption and grace, may daily be renewed by your Holy Spirit, through our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, ever one God, world without end, and all of God's people say, Amen. We'll sing together, O Holy Night. Uh, we normally take a second, uh, another offering. If you didn't have a chance to give the first uh, service, uh, the offering will go around. The first basket is for our general fund. 
Uh, the second basket this Sunday is for uh, the building fund. But while that's going around, we're going to be singing O Holy Night. There are three verses printed out for you in the order of service. Let's stand together and sing our final Christmas carol, which is Silent Night, Holy Night. And after that, we'll receive God's blessing. So Silent Night, Holy Night. Christ, who by his incarnation gathered into one things earthly and heavenly, grant you the fullness of inward peace and goodwill, and make you partakers of the divine nature. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you, and remain with you always, and all of God's people say, Amen. Amen. And we can finally say, Merry Christmas. <laughs>